Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And this is a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and I'll you by your area code and we can have a conversation. Alternatively, if you're 
you choose not to call in live or you're not on the phone right now or you're in the archives listening to this, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And we appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work when you let us know how this is landing for you, how it's helping, where you might be stuck. Like the caller yesterday, Melissa, who said she's learned of the worksheets 10 years ago <clears throat> and she stopped doing them because she was getting frustrated. That's just, you know, that's a powerful call and that's a benefit to all of us to say, okay, so what do I do if I'm using the worksheets and they're seeming to be helpful and then all of a sudden they stop working? What's, what's my next course of action? And um, that's... Just a wonderful call. Gave us a chance to start talking about some of the other worksheets that are available absolutely free that might be of use and about the process of using the worksheet specifically for negative thought patterns that we carry around with us and um, routinely live from without even realizing it. So... um, all kinds of other tools, adjuncts to and supplemental to the Reality Management Worksheet, all available at whyagain.org, W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And today's Wednesday and our first two days this week were full of processing when uh, Friday was full of processing and Monday and yesterday were full of processing so today unless someone raises a hand which is always welcome I'll probably return to reading some more from the way of mastery and the uh, second lesson we haven't finished the second lesson the first time through yet and um There's all kinds of good stuff to be reviewed and shared and reworked and massaged through that second lesson, primarily around the idea that we are creating our experience of life. And as soon as I say that, I flash on this um, little snippet of a video that um, somebody shared with me yesterday of um, a time, it was probably fairly recent, I don't know exactly when it occurred, where Brene Brown was a guest on Oprah's Super Sunday, whatever that show is that she does. And um, the, the, the topic, if you go looking for that little video or snippet, the topic is joy and um, foreboding. It's got both the joy and foreboding in the title. And in listening to both Oprah and um, 
Brene Brown talk, they clearly have had some of the same teachings resonating for them for years that we use here on MindShifter support groups and MindShifter radio. And what the way of mastery is calling us to in the second lesson where it says you are creating your experience. And one of the key points that Brene was saying is that people that she's interviewed, hundreds and hundreds of people she's interviewed over the years, recognize the correction or the connection between joy and gratitude. And there's nobody that she's interviewed that talks about joy, that experiences a lot of joy, that knows how to bring joy into their life, that doesn't also instantly talk about gratitude. Because joy is not just about getting whatever you want in the moment. And you can generate joy even in the middle of or right after a disappointment if you're willing to do an active practice of gratitude for what you do have rather than focus your attention on things you don't have and generate the negative emotions that come from all of those thoughts when you're focusing on what you don't like about your life. So that's a little a little video clip you might enjoy. Brene Brown on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday or whatever that show is. And there's a little clip that you might find if you search for joy and foreboding. And and the essence of, of the talk is that so many people don't want to let themselves feel joy because they don't want to feel the, the letdown or disappointment that they believe is inevitable after experiencing joy or letting themselves experience joy. And one of the words they use in that, Brene Brown uses it a lot, is vulnerable and vulnerability. And if I were giving that talk, I would simply switch that word to be vulnerable. I would switch it to be open. Because vulnerable implies the ability to be hurt, essentially from the outside. And openness applies or implies to me willing to experience whatever unfolds and have gratitude. So lesson two in the way of mastery. I'm I'm rehashing what we read the last time, the last few paragraphs, because it was a very short period of reading from the book. But lesson two itself is titled, You Create Your Experience. And the second level of this chapter, maybe it's the third or fourth subheading in this chapter or this lesson, reads, What You Decree Is. And the text reads, I would ask you now to begin a practice and just put this into practice so wherever you happen to be, 
stop for just a moment and truly become aware of where you are. Where are you? Are you not having the experience of seemingly being within a body? Do you not seem to be abiding in a room with objects around, people around, furniture around? Are you not within an environment in which there are certain weather patterns going on around you? Perhaps there are sounds coming into your ears. Can you truly be aware of where you are right now? Can you feel the weight of the body as you stand upon your feet or sit within your chair? Do you notice a tension in your neck? Do you notice the racing of the mind if that is going on? Can you begin to bring awareness to exactly what is from a place of innocence and allowance? I'm substituting the word allowance and acceptance for their phrase non-judgment. The text reads, you have a saying in your world, it is what it is. That is the beginning of wisdom. You will discover that what is, what truly is, is what you have chosen to make of it. Be, therefore, where you are right now and deliberately decide Deliberately decide to accept completely that what you are experiencing in this very moment has no cause whatsoever except your choice to experience it. Rest assured, whatever the mind may try to say, if you did not completely want to be right where you are, in the depth of your soul, from the depth of your soul, you would not be where you are. If you were in a body, in the field of space and time, rest assured, your higher self, your spiritual self, your total self, desired it, chose it, and that's why it is here. So begin here. There is no need to judge it, no need to ask it to be different. Just truly be aware of what is. If you're feeling the body sitting in a chair, allow this thought to come into the mind. Quote, I have literally created this experience. Something within me is so grand, so powerful, so vast, and so beyond anything that even scientists have ever come up with that I have literally crystallized into the field of experience an awareness of being in a body in space and time. This has come forth from the field of my consciousness. The gift to me from the Creator. And the Creator asks only that I learn to create as the Creator creates. I have said so many times that the Creator looks upon you and says, You, you who's hearing these words, the Creator looks upon you and says, this is my only creation, and it is very good, just as it is. For the Creator marvels at what you are, knowing perfectly well that you are emerged from her holy mind. 
Likewise, look upon your creations and just marvel. How is it that you could abide in this time frame, on this planet, in this place, with these people? How could it be that you can place yourself behind the wheel of an automobile and actually get it from point A to point B? That is a mystery and a marvel, and no one knows how it is done, yet it is done. The reason it is done is that all power has been given unto you. And what you decree is. A man or a woman shall decree a thing and it shall be so. You have decreed this moment as it is right now. Own it. For by owning it, right now, you can begin to sense the incredible and awesome power that flows through you in each moment. It is the power to create. The reason it is done is that all power has been given unto you, and what you decree is. A man or a woman shall decree a thing, and it shall be so. You have decreed this moment, own it. For by owning it right now, you can begin to sense the incredible and awesome power that flows through you in each moment. It is the power to create. Think about how few times you get this message, that you got this message as a child. Think about how directly in contrast this is to the teaching that most of us have received throughout our lives. Michael Rice highlights this and says, this is one of the greatest injustices that we've ever had foisted upon us and we've participated in, and that is somehow hiding from us the fact that we are creators. So right here in Lesson 2, right at the very beginning of the way of mastery, sitting right alongside the idea that we don't know what anything is or is for, is the idea that we are powerful creators. And again, if you're coming at this from the Western mind, that's going to seem to be a tremendous paradox. It's going to seem to be two opposite things trying to occupy the same space. So the text goes on and reads, So begin by choosing now to cultivate the practice in this manner. Set the intention so that in each hour of your day for three to five minutes, you practice bringing this quality of awareness to exactly whatever you're experiencing when the thought arises to do the practice. Now, at different times in the past when I've read this, I highlight the idea that this is not telling you to set an alarm on your watch or your smartphone to do this for three or five minutes every hour. This says, set the intention, not set the alarm on your smart device. Set the intention that once in each hour for just three to five minutes, you practice bringing this quality of awareness to exactly whatever you're experiencing, and you do that when the thought arises to do the practice. The thought does not arise to do the practice because it's scheduled on your smart calendar. The next 
question is, so where does that thought come from? Imagine you're going through the day and you've been hustling and bustling about. You've gone to your office or your work. You've talked to friends. You've bought groceries. You've done all of these things. And then suddenly the thought appears, oh, focus on being aware that I am literally the creator of what I experience. Wow. Okay. Haven't thought about that all day long. The text goes on. Do you think that that just happened by accident? No. The thought is penetrating your conscious awareness from the depth of your own mind that rests right next to the mind of the creator. Therefore, the power to generate that very thought is the effect of the Creator's will entering into your field of being and penetrating the veils of distraction and shining forth as the thought. That's right, five minutes every hour. Now, can you feel the awesomeness of that? For you are linked to the mind of the Creator and the Creator knows how to bring you back to complete freedom, perfect peace, and mastery of this entire realm. Those who truly have love for the Creator and would truly awaken, those people, those souls, those consciousness will feel something compelling them to master this simple practice for five minutes each hour. They will learn to delight in and to look forward to it. Pretty soon, those five minutes will stretch into six, then 10, 15, and 50, until finally there is established in their awareness the unchanging realization that everything that arises, they have decreed it, and so it is so. Five minutes every hour is not much to ask. Five minutes every hour, be as you are created to be. A creator decreeing that which brings forth experience. Never again allow yourself to say, quote, well, I'm really here because I have to be. I'm really just doing this because it's what I have to do, period, close quotes. Take the words ought, should, must, and have to and write them on a piece of paper, look at them, and then light a match and light the corner of the paper. And let the paper burn and dissolve to dust. Let this be a symbol of allowing the energy you've given those words to become again as the dust or the ash of the ground. Clear from your consciousness all identification with such words. For all of them, all of these words, ought, should, must, have to, all of them are denials of capital R reality. Many times I've shared with you that you need do nothing. Listen to those words and take them into yourself as though they are your own voice 
because in truth they are. I need do nothing. You do not have to survive. Whoever told you that you had to. You do not have to make everybody happy. Whoever told you that you had to. Whoever told you that you could make anybody happy. You do not have to abide as a body in space and time. Whoever told you that you had to. You do not have to pay your bills. Who told you that? You literally need do nothing. This is quite different than wanting or choosing to do something. You do not need to love your parents. You do not need to honor your father and your mother. You do not need to worship me or love me. You do not need to love yourself. You literally need do nothing. For need is an expression of the perception that there is something you lack. And because you are one with the Creator, there is never a moment when you lack anything at all. Can you allow the thought to emerge in the mind when you arise in the morning, quote, I need do nothing. I don't have to get out of this bed. I don't have to go to an office. I don't need to fulfill that order. I don't need to say good morning to my mate. I literally need do nothing. For how can there be the power of freedom to choose and to create when you're being governed by the belief of the world that you must be a certain way? The belief that you need to be acceptable to others, that you need to conform and fit in, that you need to dress the way others dress, and that you need to be committed to surviving an extra day upon this plane, when that is in place, there can be no freedom wherever there is need. There can be no freedom wherever there is need. Now, most of the time when this comes up in a support group several times over the years on the Internet show, what resonates in the Western mind is somebody saying, I give up and laying in bed with the covers pulled over their heads and the shades drawn and they never leave and, they never, and they're depressed and they're suicidal and, or they take their own life or they're content to just sit around if they've got a way to have money to pay for them to watch television or play video games and eat junk food, and that's all they do all day. And that's what the Western mind often makes of a statement like, I need do nothing. The Western mind has been taught and trained and conditioned to believe that it has to have motivation from the outside, that there has to be this, you know, whip-wielding slave master cracking the whip and threatening punishment or holding out a uh, holding back a reward until certain accomplishments have been achieved and yet that has nothing to do with the statement I need do nothing 
the statement, I need, do, nothing, is related directly to freedom of choice. Free will. You can choose what you do and not do. And if there's a thought in your mind that says you have to do this or that, it's from a conditioned false pattern of belief that it might benefit you to question. The text goes on. The next section is titled, Practicing the First Two Axioms. And the text reads, These are the first two axioms of the way of the heart. They are to be built on, to be remembered, and to be cultivated daily. Quote, I am created as the Creator created me to be. I am free. And nothing sources my experience but me in each moment. Nothing has an effect upon me whatsoever except that which I choose to allow to affect me. That's the first axiom. The second axiom is I need do nothing. The text reads, In the beginning, we would suggest that you practice this second axiom in the morning and in the evening, as you're arising and as you're retiring. At least twice in each of your days, we ask you to cultivate for five minutes the repetition of this thought so that you feel it in your bones, the thought, I need do nothing. It will come as quite a shock to your consciousness. And the mind will say, but wait, I mean, I've got all these things I have to do. What about this and what about that? Oh, my goodness. Will the world stop spinning if I stop needing? The answer is, that would be up to the world. It's not up to you. The power of these first two axioms will be that everything that follows is built upon them. And yet everything that follows is merely a way of watering these two axioms and making them the anchor of your awareness. So as we've already said a couple times in reading the first two lessons, if you understood what's been shared so far, you wouldn't need anything else in this book. If you could take it into your bones that you are you remain as you were created to be, that you remain connected to your creator in each new present moment, and that nothing has an impact on you except what you choose to allow to affect you, and that you need do nothing. If you could have that in your day-to-day, moment-to-moment, breath-by-breath experience, you wouldn't need the rest of this book. Everything is built on that. Everything just helps that grow into full awareness within you. The text goes on and says, for when the anchor is firmly in place, you will literally create whatever you so desire from the perfect freedom and from perfect deliberateness. You will even transcend miracle-mindedness, for miracle-mindedness is still a stage of perception which is just short of mastery. Mastery comes when you know that you are literally 
and deliberately creating. There's nothing miraculous about it. You will decree a thing, and it shall be so. When you're doing that, you're creating the way the Creator creates. For while the Creator marvels at you, He knows perfectly well that your creation was not a miracle. It was a very deliberate act born from the pure radiance of love. The Creator does not sit upon His throne and says, Gee, I wonder if I'm worthy to create my children. I wonder if I'm worthy to express myself through the divine spark of consciousness that they truly are. Never does that kind of a thought enter the holy mind of the Creator. Never does the Creator wonder, I wonder if I'm okay for me to create a solar system. The Creator receives a thought, or a thought emanates within its holy mind. It creates, it decrees, it is so. And then the Creator looks upon all things and says, Ah, this is good just the way it is. The last section is titled, Exercise in Conscious Creation. And the text reads, the third and last exercise that we would give you in this lesson is this. <clears throat> Choose something that you do every day. Choose something that you're convinced is so utterly ordinary that it certainly does not hold any power or any spiritual meaning whatsoever. It could be something as simple as having a glass of water or brushing your teeth or yawning. Pick something that you know you do every day and decide to make that the focus of your worship <clears throat> so that when you do it, you stop and say, it is very good. Even if it is something as simple as raising your head from the pillow, become aware of it, own it as completely self-created. And... As you contemplate that action, say to yourself, it is very good. I have done this, and it is good. I have created. Again, those that are truly committed will find that they begin to enjoy this process, and they begin to apply it more and more to other events in their lives. They begin to reawaken the childlike joy of building a castle in the sandbox. For in truth, that is all you are doing here. Consciousness is your sandbox, and you're creating castles. You've simply forgotten to enjoy them. When you want to be rid of them now, you lament, Oh, but if I give this up and I change my mind and move on, what will happen to my creations? What will others think of me if I act like a child and just take my little plastic shovel and knock down the castle and go in and have a sandwich for lunch? What will people think of me? Will I fit in? Will I be accepted? Will I be judged? Will I be persecuted? The answer comes to all of these questions, who cares? Because the opinions of others mean nothing unless you want them to mean something. 
You're the one that is creating the meaning that you give to everything that you experience, whether it is the opinions of others or the way your last souffle turned out or the way your last work project turned out. So the text goes on and says, now we come to what concludes this lesson. The question is, what blocks you in your mind? For even as you're reading this, you may recognize a resistance. That resistance is the energy of fear. Uh Uh-oh, what will happen if I follow this path? That part of your mind that we call the ego will rise up to tell you that if you listen to the one that some have called the savior of the world, it will take you to a path of destruction. That's because the voice for ego knows that it will be destroyed in a sense if this path is followed. Its control over you will be lessened if this path is followed. You will simply use it as a tool from time to time where it's useful. You won't put it at the level of master. You won't elevate it to the level of deity in your life. It's not going to be your first choice of tools as you live your life. And yet, you as an essence, as a consciousness spark, as a sea of consciousness is Michael Singer would call it. You cannot be destroyed. The text reads, that resistance is fear. And fear is one of the energies that are out of alignment with the truth of the kingdom, capital K, kingdom. Therefore, fear not and continue in faith. For I say unto you, What you will discover at the end of this pathway is perfect freedom, perfect power, perfect spaciousness, perfect joy, and perfect peace of living literally in the, quote, kingdom of heaven, close quotes. The choice is yours. For those of you that will feel this resistance come up so strongly, and for those of you that will yet call out to me in your dreams and your prayers and say, quote, help me through this, Yeshua, come help me, Holy Spirit. To all of you I say, you walk not alone, for I cannot be further from you than the wits of a thought. And yes, you are the creator of that thought. Think a thought, and you are with someone. Think a thought, and it is so in your experience. The text goes on. I, too, embarked on just such a path. Each axiom that I will share and refine, as well as many of the exercises that are coming up in the way of mastery, are specifically exercises and truths that were given to me from the time I was initiated by certain Essene teachers in the way of the heart. Think about it. When my teacher said, quote, Yeshua, it's time for you to go spend 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, close quotes. 
do you not believe that resistance came up within me too? I also had to notice that I was creating a thought of fear and I was separating myself in my awareness from the great protection and love of the Creator. I had to physically move the body into the wilderness to move through my own rings of fear to discover what was on the other side. The pathway that I have walked is the pathway that you are walking. And if our pathway is the same, then we walk together to the Creator and away from illusion, away from pain, away from weakness, away from unworthiness, guilt, and death. So, it is invited. You are invited to engage in your exercises with great zeal, with great joy, and above all, great outrageous playfulness. Let not seriousness enter the mind. Play with these concepts. Engage your childlike curiosity for everything you experience and everything you've created. Learn to look with innocence upon all that arises. Abide lovingly with your creations. If you put these little exercises to work, much will indeed arise. Practice then and practice well and practice with joy. Know that you are loved, loving and lovable and that in truth the only thing that is occurring is that an old dream is being released that a new dream might replace it. This would be the dream of worthiness, peace, wakefulness, and union with all of creation. Again, I say, I come not alone in this specific work, but I come with many who support your healing and your awakening. Therefore, indeed, be at peace this day, beloved friends. Abide lovingly with your creations. Amen. That is the end of lesson two. That is several exercises to help us awaken to the fact that we are choosing our experience, that we create our own experience. And whenever we're in the middle of an experience that we don't like, it's perfectly okay for us to say, I don't like what I've called to myself. And be playful with shifting the focus of your conscious awareness and your thoughts about life and about what has arisen. And in the next moment, shift your thoughts over to something that creates an experience you prefer. An example of that is in that little video that I talked about earlier with Brene Brown and and Oprah. And Brene said she was heading out on the plane to travel to 
be with Oprah to do this Super Soul Sunday or whatever they're calling it. And as they got on the runway with the plane and they taxied around, the next thing you know, they're taxiing back towards the hangar or back towards the terminal. And Brene Brown heard the thoughts in her head say, oh, I knew it. This was too good to be true. I'm going to miss being there for Oprah. I'm not going to be able to be on Super Soul Sunday. I never should have gotten my hopes up. All of those thoughts came to her. So what do you do? Well, because she's been practicing the same kinds of things that Way of Mastery recommends, she heard the thoughts and she shifted them. And she made the active decision in that moment to do what she calls practicing gratitude, rehearsing a list of things that she has gratitude for. That is what's recommended here. Oh, look. My thoughts have just shifted over to doom and gloom and disappointment and the expectation that I'm, I'm, I should have known. I shouldn't have let my, my hopes get up. In that next moment, as I recognize that that's what I'm doing with my thoughts and that I'm creating an experience from that, I have the opportunity to shift my thoughts. I can shift them to questioning and complete neutrality, or I can shift them over to active gratitude. Either one is recommended, because now I'm not creating the negativity. I'm inviting something more positive, or I'm actively choosing something more positive. So we have plenty of time for comments or questions. We've got about 13 minutes left. 563-999-3581. Call that number. Press 1 on your phone. Let us know if you have comments or questions about anything we've been reading in a way of mastery or the processing that was done Monday or Tuesday or Friday where... Um, We've had three days of processing prior to this. And, um, you know, comments or questions about the caller yesterday who called in and said, hey, you know, 10 years ago I got exposed to the reality management worksheets and I used them and they worked and then they quit working. And, and now I don't use them because they just create more frustration in me. So, ever had any similar experiences? We'd be happy to hear about them. 563-999-3581. And I should mention that today's Wednesday, so there's no support group. We did have a support group last night. We will have one again tomorrow. We will not have one on Thursday, which is Thanksgiving, a week from tomorrow. And yet, um, we have <laughs> we have plenty of space in these uh, 
support groups. We just had somebody uh, tap in who's never been there before, and um, we'd be uh, happy to have you join us and or happy to have you pass the information along to somebody that you think might benefit from joining us. It's absolutely free. And all the information that you or they would need to join us is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. So how can we support you? What's on your mind today? Last night in the support group, we were listening to some of the first hour, 45 minutes, 50 minutes of the, um, the video by Ian Shell Lunghold, uh, the late Ian Shell Lunghold, titled The Condor Flies to the Eagle. And it's a talk about, <laughs> a talk about the Mayan calendar. And boy, I, 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 learned, uh, I learned anew how differently each of us take in um, stimuli, you know, I mean, if you think you're sitting watching the same television show or the same movie or that you're reading the same book as somebody else, I'm here to tell you you're not. <laughs> that the experience somebody else is having, even if they're sitting right next to you in the theater, is different than yours. Even if you're in the library reading the same book side by side, I guarantee you your experience is different than theirs. And... um Hopefully, we're able to, at least in the support groups, communicate effectively about what is being experienced and leave it open for uh, questioning and interpretation without um, dictating one set of conclusions or another. Um, And yet, there are times when that's quite the challenge, so... Uh, the invitation in this work is to cultivate the ability to live in the question and to basically uh, undo the conditioning that has us wanting to be right, that has us wanting to crunch everything down into something that your conscious logical mind can codify or make a statement about or fit into a belief system and um, what we're encouraging people to do is try that out and see if it isn't a, a lead to a series of life experiences that you prefer compared to what happens when you decide you need to be right and or when you decide that you need to know the absolute truth of this, that, or the other thing in a way that you can say words about it. Because as so often these deep teachings remind us, the truth can't be spoken. You can't crunch the truth of life or the truth of a person 
down into a few words or phrases or even pages of writing. I, I remember hearing myself say the other day that, uh, you know, this whole thing about God, what is God, and how do we relate to God, etc. And I said, you know, we can't talk about it, and it probably would be better if we didn't try to talk about it so much, and instead simply breathed into the experience being, because talking about something is doing, and the essence that leads us to expansion and growth and true wisdom is is what comes from being not from doing so hoping that this is landing. I, I was also saying a little bit yesterday or maybe on Tuesday or maybe Monday or maybe last Friday that as I listen back to the lessons of commentary that we did in um, throughout the year in 2022, I, 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 I'm struck by how I focus on different parts of of these lessons in the way of mastery than I did just a year and a half ago or two years ago. And I encourage you to do that as well. Those, these, those recordings of reading through the way of mastery with commentary are also available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website and they're labeled as just on the page way of mastery with commentary and the ones we're doing this year are labeled with this year on them. And I'm probably going to put just lesson one, lesson two, and lesson three on one page and the files associated with those lessons all on that page. And then create another page for lessons four, five, and six, etc. So the pages stay smaller and they load better on mobile devices. So, five six three nine 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 three five eight one. If you call that number and press one, you can help us uh, decide what to talk about or do in the next five minutes or four minutes as we're waiting. Um. I've had a, a few comments recently about the the pleasant uh, overlap between the choose again six step process with Diedrich Wolzak and the reality management worksheet. So if you haven't had exposure to that, um, you can go back to the archives and there was a day I think it was a Monday where I was reading Diedrich's book and on a Monday it just so happened that the section where he 
lists what are those six steps of his forgiveness process or his steps to freedom process are all in that one audio file. And um, again, we invite your ideas and comments about does your mind, when it looks at those two worksheets, Dr. Michael Rice's worksheet and Diedrich Olzak's Six Steps to Freedom worksheet, does your mind say, yeah, these are very similar? Or is your mind telling you, oh, no, these are very, very different, and here's why? Um, we actively invite all such comments and questions and observations because as we learn so often in the support groups it really isn't uh, it isn't easy to know when you look at something that other people sitting right next to you are looking at the same thing because boy we have a lot of conditioning we have a lot of beliefs that we generate we have a lot of preconceived notions that we hold on to that color our perceptions and this this whole process of learning to identify the earliest warning signs of any upset in us and then choosing to identify the thought and the goal we're holding in that moment and canceling them and asking to be shown something else is is life-changing in ways words can't describe. So give it a try and or give us a call or send us an email to express your experience with this. Grateful for everyone who's here. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim, and thanks for playing the Aramaicisms for us for the last four days. You're welcome. Thanks for offering those to the community without having to pay for them. That's nice to have that in the archives. Yeah. All right. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Wednesday, November the 15th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563 nine 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 three five eight one and press one and that puts you in queue to talk to us and we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show we'll give michael a moment to dial in and then i do have an email that i'm going to read but we welcome you to the show thank you for listening to the aramaicisms last thursday friday and then this monday tuesday and hope you enjoyed those. That was with Dale Allen Hoffman and Michael. And uh, it was a, a blessing to record those, and we hope you enjoyed listening to them. And, Michael, I do have an email to read when we get started. 
Are you there? Oh, you're on the switchboard, but I don't hear you. Hmm, okay. You need to unmute. You must be having technical difficulties there. Walk in the other room and, and see okay, if he I is. got it. Oh, there he is. Had trouble right. getting the right screen to come up on my phone. Right. So thank you, dear heart, and welcome everybody. Delighted to be back. Glad to be home, and uh, glad to be back in the uh, in the airways again with you. I hope the uh, the four sessions that we did between today and our departure last week were meaningful, helpful, and perhaps aroused a lot of questions that we'll have some time to uh, to talk about. In the meantime, one of, you know, the, the weekend was basically a, a time for a fair amount of fasting and some significant exploration, introspection. And I came away from uh, from the weekend really appreciating the uh, the fact that in the ancient Aramaic, this man Yeshua makes a distinction between the product of the two minds in us, the mind of perception, the place where carbon-based memory generates out of whatever is resonated in it a whole world or the appearance of a world. You remember that he says do not judge by appearances. Makes a distinction between the mind of man and then what we could probably call the mind of the creator. Then we've got reality, the output of our perceptual systems. The product or the re- result of the firing of brain cells in response to the things that happened to us and living in that mind and having the opportunity to move to a different mind to and and knowing that when we're in perception we're looking at a construct and there's a way to reliably collapse those constructs it's just, it's just like a a monumental piece of information as i was flying back almost just contemplating, thinking about the core of this work, and that's the one distinction that, uh, that takes us out of the, uh, the monumental misinterpretations that come along with the belief that everything that happens in the perceptual mind is literal and true. And recognizing that we have a choice between which mind we are going to live in. And there's work to be done, of course, to get into the the actuality instead of living in realities that are just a product of what's going on inside of us rather than the fact of what's happening in actuality. So 
I hope that uh, maybe opens some thinking for some of you who are listening and uh, clarifies a little bit about the work. And uh, so, Ms. Jeannie, you, uh, you had something to read to start us off with? A question? Yeah. Well, it wasn't really a question. Um, I received an email, and they say, hello, 30 years ago, I was given a copy on cassette of your class on why is this happening, bless you, why is this happening to me again? I was just starting my healing journey, and I was totally transformed by what I heard. I moved on to many healers, including becoming one myself, but recently I have come back to this work. I have a client, and they're very much stuck in their head, and they suffer from physical ailments. I was going through my CDs, and I found your series that I had made into CDs back when they were still cassettes. Um, I have lost number three. I was wondering how I could get another one recorded. I would also like to add that you were so far ahead of your time with the information you shared 30 years ago. It's astounding to me, and I just want to say thanks for your wisdom, honesty, and love. And I sent them some links um, for the, the free Why Again that's on YouTube. I sent them the information about the app. Since it's been 30 years, they probably don't know about that. And I sent them a link to the radio show. And uh, then also sent uh, the third hour of the, of the four-hour why again to them. So hopefully that will help them work with the people that they are working with. So just, you know, we talked the other day about people, you know, being – we actually had gotten a question from somebody saying, you know, is anybody in, in a particular church where you had presented, were they still doing the work? And we talked about people, you know, coming to the work and using it for a time and then leaving and, and then eventually coming back. And in this person's case, it took 30 years, but they're back. Oh, that's pretty cool. Pretty yeah. sweet. And, uh, it's interesting, most of the workshops that we've got, you know, from 30 years ago, we've updated uh, into newer versions, but that particular version of why is this happening to me again, I believe is still the version that we have on our uh, DVDs and on the streaming system because that particular workshop, that particular version of why is this happening to me again, just came together so powerfully uh, that we've never replaced it with a new version, even though I've done version after version of the, the workshop. So it's, uh, it's nice to hear the, uh, the impact of it. And the one piece that I hope they'll listen uh, to this as you send them the answer, the one piece that wasn't in those DVDs way back when, that piece that I could not explain, I did not understand 30 years ago, I didn't really understand until, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago now. So even though from the very beginning when I first touched into and did the first Why Is This Having to Me Again workshop, that the, the core of the forgiveness process is that of canceling goals. 
And I didn't know 30 years ago that the reason why you canceled the goal was so the constructs of your mind could collapse. Interesting in the in the the uh, the uh, letter that you read that they refer to exactly what I was talking about was my insight or my what I see as the major piece of the puzzle that this work can contribute to people's lives, and that is that this whole thing happening in the mind is just a product of the resonance of information in brain cells from the past. And that I, I could not have, I did not know how to explain that back then. I didn't understand why you did it. I just knew that if you did it, things changed. But now understanding that every construct of the mind, every construct of carbon-based memory is goal-driven. And so whatever those constructs are, if they show up with a taint of some form of fear and or hostility, then the mind is using corrupt data and that whatever it is, it's false. I mean, most of the conversation in the world, you know, most people, pardon me, I shouldn't say most, I should say virtually everyone in the therapy world, in the mind world, are trying to help people rearrange content come up with better content in carbon-based memory because people believe that their eyes are actually showing them something outside of themselves. That what's painted on the inside of our eyeballs is a representation or a, a peak, a, a set of uh, windows that we're looking at in the world. And to recognize that that's simply not true. The constructs of the mind of man, what the scriptures refer to in many cases in the, the ancient scriptures is talking about the mind of man, is simply talking about perception, constructs of the mind. And when you realize that, you know, we have that wonderful piece of information from George, and I'm not remembering his last name, the psychologist that did the research at Harvard back, geez, 70 some years ago now. Miller. Somewhere in that range. George Miller, yeah. 60, 70 years ago, uh, came up with that information that tells us that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, the max amount of data that goes into the perceptual mind, that co- comes to our awareness, that goes into constructing that picture painted on the inside of our eyeballs, is nine bits of a minuscule amount of information forms that construct in the mind and that you know, when I finally understood that, of course, in order to select nine bits of data out of 10,000 brain cells firing, something has to do that job. And thus the power of canceling a goal because that those constructs of the mind are goal-driven. And when the goal is canceled the construct of the mind, perception, the picture painted on the inside of our eyeballs, collapses. And when it collapses, it makes space for a whole different world to be realized. And it's a key way into our own unconscious and cleaning up the unconscious dynamics that drive the whole game. Most everybody who's talking about 
the world thinks that they're looking at it through their eyes. <laughs> it's just a total product. I mean, it's just such a monumental piece of information. And uh, thank you for the acknowledgement on the wisdom that came through 30 years ago. But unfortunately, I can't lay claim to that wisdom. It wasn't mine. I'm not the one who uh, put that piece together. That was strictly first century Aramaic Yeshua. And all credit is due to that mind in understanding this process of forgiveness and applying it. So I'll, I'll defer that uh, uh, compliment. I'll certainly accept responsibility for assembling in a way in our modern world that it's understandable that anyone who really wants to do their work uh, can understand it, but it, uh, it was not my insight. And uh, delighted that you're, you're sharing it, that you're passing it on. Uh, you could also invite, you know, to someone that you want to have a look at it and you'd like to support us. Of course, you're welcome to share the DVDs that you've got, but also they can buy the DVD themselves and or buy a, uh, a link to uh, stream that workshop or, you know, any one of our other, I don't know how many DVDs we've got now, 17, 18, 19, 20, something like that. Uh, so they're also, uh, you know, to refer them to the catalog. It's a way to support us and helping to fund this work. And the fact that we are not on the road anymore as we traveled for 40 years uh, doing this work, uh, that was a mainstay of, uh, of cash flow that has supported the development of the app, the development of our 20,000-page website, the catalog of DVDs, CDs, all of that. Now that that has disappeared, our, uh, our cash flow is limited because we don't travel as we were for so many years. It funded making all of that available. And, and since COVID, we've been uh, paying about, oh, a five to $600 bill. Well, actually, it's probably a little more than that. Uh, let me think for a second. Hmm more like an $800 bill every month just to uh, keep Heartland sitting there with the taxes paid and can't, you know, being out in the, uh, in the humidity that there is in the, uh, the Ozarks in southern Missouri, we can't turn off fans and, and such, so the electric bill goes on. So anyway, if you'd like to support us, you could recommend those folks actually buy a link or buy a set of DVDs. And, uh, of course, we're here to, uh, to answer questions and support them in any way possible. And uh, so thanks for passing it on. It's awesome. Of course, the number one objective is to make it available. So, you know, take it, put it out there. And there's also, of course, 4,500 hours or so in our archives of conversations like this one that look into just about every aspect of the work that, uh, you know, over the last 12 years of doing this radio show. And so there are as many resources as we can possibly continue to make available. We're here to do that. And uh, thank you for saying thank you. So, Ms. Jeannie, uh, we just did four days of Aramaicisms. I think it's maybe one of the most important workshops we've done in the last 50 or so years. And, of course, you can uh, go back, and those four hours are in our archives now up until last Thursday, 
Uh, the only way to get that workshop was to purchase the DVD link or a set of DVDs. Now they're available. They're out there for free. You can get them, or you can also, again, if you choose to support us, go go buy a link for it, or go buy a set of the the DVDs, so that you can uh, put them in your own CD player or, or DVD player or home stereo system, whatever, and make it available. So that's uh, one of the products we have in our catalog, and at least up until Thursday when we signed, we chose to do this, the uh, the only way to get them was to make a purchase. So we're glad it's out there, glad it's available. Any way we can support you, we're here for your questions. So hopefully you uh, made some notes over the, that four hours because we, that, that uh, DVD set um, covers so much territory. So I hope you've made a note of some of your questions and push one and let's have a conversation about it. Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody? And by the way, if anybody is listening to this show on uh, one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show live. And then if you push one, that raises a hand in the control panel. Jeannie will know that you want to speak to us, and that will put us in communication directly. So do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Well, we've got some new numbers on the switchboard and in the chat room, but there are no hands up, no questions. So we've only spent 17 minutes so far. We've got plenty of time. What's your question or what's your comment? If you're in the chat room, you're welcome to type your question, and I'll read it. The information those last four days has got to have some mind stirring with questions, what we covered in that Aramaicisms. Got to be some hands go up in response to that four days. And maybe it was all just ABC clear and uh, no questions are needed. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little surprised. I thought there'd be, uh, be lots of conversation about it from our audience. That was a workshop that Dale L. Hoffman and I did. Uh, hmm, not even sure what year, probably 10 years ago now. We've been sitting still here in... Virginia for five years, and it probably was five years before that when we did that workshop series down in Asheville. So push one, let's talk about it. What's on your mind? Did everything we say make sense for you? Okay, um, there's a person in the chat room, and they said they were not aware of the four days, and they could use some context here. What is Aramaicism? Okay, so I, uh, you know, I've been working with the Aramaic language for the last forty plus years. Forty, I'm not even sure, probably forty-three or forty-four, and in so doing, have seen that every key important word in the Aramaic 
had its meaning changed by the Greeks. You know, like virtually all of the core teachings of Yeshua disappeared when they translated those texts into the Greek language, into Latin. You know, there are so many words, so many key words who, well, one, there's not even a word for it in English or Latin or Greek, many of the key concepts, like, for instance, Rachma. You know, they say to Yeshua, what's most important in all of this teaching you're doing, all this thing you call the law, what's most important? By the way, the word law is one of the key words that's had its meaning change. You know, law has been turned into the rule of a superior. There's some big guy in the sky that's going to get you and beat you and send you to a hot, fiery place for eternity if you don't do everything that this authority says, and that is follow the law. It's one of the first words that was changed. The word law has nothing to do with the rule of a superior, that there's some big dude in the sky that's running the show and you better obey. In Aramaic, the word law simply means how it works. Not rules to follow, how it works. Here's the law. Here's how the mind works. Here's how being human works. Da, 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 da. Here's how nutrition works. Here's how food works. Here, I mean, it's just how it works, the laws. And, you know, they ask Yeshua, well, what's most important in the law? The Greeks give us a totally, completely, 1,000% fraudulent answer. The Greeks say that the law says, that the Creator says, you're going to burn in a hot, fiery place if you don't love your neighbor as yourself and love God that same way, like God's starving for attention. Well, it's just, I mean, it doesn't even appear in the Aramaic. You know, when they ask Yeshua that question, what's most important in the way it works to be a human being, in essence, we could extend that question out to have a deeper understanding. He says, not you must love, but you must have rachma. There is no such idea in Aramaic. It's a condition in the mind. It's a filter in the frontal lobes of the brain that keeps the mind on track with human life and is a gateway for human life, love, who you are as a human being, to enter your human form. So my work over the last, you know, probably about three or four years into working with the Aramaic language, it became, we've got to reestablish the truth of this stuff. We've got to get back to what these words really mean. So I coined a phrase or a, a word. And the word I coined was Aramaicisms, the title of that workshop. And for me, what that word, which I made up, represents is our effort to bring back the original first century meanings of Yeshua's words. So that, you know, you know Vladimir Lenin, the man who's probably responsible for more deaths on planet Earth than any human being in history, more people being slaughtered, murdered, starving to death. Just you know, He had a brilliant insight. He said, the way you destroy a culture is to change the meaning of its words. Why don't we have a culture based in love? Why do you turn on the TV and hear virtually every other word, some form of hostility or fear, rage, guilt, grief, condemnation, gossip, slander, vengeance, hatred? Why is that? 
because we don't know the first law. We don't know what it is. What's, what's it take? What's the order of how it works if you're going to function as a human being? Well, you've got to start out with this gateway open that brings the created essence of your humanness, love, into your mind, into your physiology, fuels your physiology for health, and fuels your mind for proper thinking. So that would be a, an example of my effort at bringing the Aramaic language back into full flower. Not, not just mine, but there are many people working on that project to eradicate the prejudices of the Greek mind, of the Latin mind, of the English mind, and return to what that teaching was actually about from the beginning. Aramaicism. So that's the last four hours. So if you go back to the archives, there are two ways you can access it. You go back to the archives, and of course, we've got a two-hour show every day, Dr. Tim coming in first and our show second, so from one till two o'clock. So the best way that I know to get to those archives, because some of the uh, programs that you use, podcast programs, will only show a limited number of radio shows, like I'm forgetting what they are, but like maybe three years. And we've got 12 years. But if you go to iHeartRadio, their app, their one, I don't know, I'm sure there are other apps that do it too, but I'm not aware of them. But if you go to iHeartRadio, it shows all of our radio shows from day one. So you can go back through them. And when you go to one of the shows, it gives you the ability to fast forward through them. So if you want to just get to the Aramaicism, you can get to that second hour easily. Many podcasts won't allow you to fast forward through them, so, or podcast programs. And so if you go to last Thursday's show, you get hour one. You'd have to go to the second hour of the show. Dr. Tim's hour is first, starts is second. So you get hour one on Thursday of Aramaicisms. Then Friday, you'd get hour two if you went to the second hour of the show. Monday, you'd get hour three. And yesterday, you'd get hour four. So that's how you can get all four hours of that uh, DVD series, Aramaicisms. And then if you have questions, you know, I should probably sit down one of these days. And of course, I have nothing else on my plate, but sit down and go over all of the key words that have been changed again. Lenin saying the way to destroy a culture is change the meaning of its words. They've changed the meaning of forgiveness. They've changed the meaning of love. They've changed the meaning of, of law. I mean, we could just go down the list. Virtually everything's been disappeared out of the Aramaic. So you get this... Um, view of Yeshua as, I guess the simplest way to say it, as he is not. And so, you know, if, if Yeshua sat in churchianity's institutions today, and I'm talking about virtually every one of them, unless they're based in the Aramaic, He'd say, that's all Greek to me. And so a whole mindset 
is presented by virtually everyone working with the New Testament, the Old Testament, a mindset based in Greek mythology stuffed down Yeshua's throat. And rarely does he pick his head out, peek his head out from under it. He would literally say, that's all Greek to me. It's like, you know, and it's interesting that that's a saying in our culture. <laughs> it's like, and it, and, it, and it equates, I don't understand a thing you're talking about. Yeshua's thinking, healing technology, and I'm talking about some serious healing technology, is just gone. And when you understand that, you understand why, for instance, people who consider themselves to be devout churchianity folks can support the kind of poverty politics, the kind of rage, the kind of hostility, the kind of attack, the kind of lack of morals that you know, so often goes hand in hand today with churchianity. Why has that community been lost? Why is that culture that's truly, actually based in, not, not words about love, not some limited behaviors about love, oh well, we, we have love for our neighbors, so we went and we started a food kitchen. Yeah. What did you do with the immigrant? You listen to the, the politics today that are just destroying people whose lives are so tragically impacted, in many cases by corporate America, and reasons why they're leaving their homes and trying to escape the, the poverty and the violence and the viciousness and the wars started by corporate America, in many cases. What happened to the culture of love? I mean, actually being the space of love for our neighbors... And you know, there's another word that's been changed. Aramaicism is important here. Let's restore the meaning of the word neighbor. Does neighbor mean the guy down the block? No, neighbor means anybody that you think about in Aramaic. I remember, it's been a while since I've shared this story on the show, but and I don't remember whether we I covered this one in in the Aramaicisms workshop when we did that, but it was just rather hilarious to hear Dan talk about the effort that it took to reestablish the understanding of the word neighbor. You know, back when the translation was being done, this was back in the early 70s, Dan ran the program, and, and Dan was a man, Dan McDougall, he's my partner. He was in the Navy in World War II. They did a, an IQ test for everybody in the Navy back then. In 1940, uh, let's see, I think it would have been maybe 45, maybe 44, I'm not sure. Dan McDougall, my partner, had the number three IQ in the Navy. That's the kind of mind Dan had. And he 
used the rules of evidence that you'd use in a courtroom, you know, as he was an attorney. And he used the rules of evidence for how he determined whether a piece of information would get in front of the court. That's how it got into the translation of the, of the um, little booklet that we sell called Enlightenment. What we've published so far from the Kabor's manuscript is in that book. It's the first century dictionary and keywords are left in Aramaic and the translations. If you want to order that, you can go to our catalog and order it. But they were struggling with this word neighbor because he, Dan would literally take a passage or a word or whatever it was they were looking for from the Aramaic, and they had 22 of the world's top aramicists that they'd send that passage out to. Dan would gather the answers back, and where somebody had a disagreement, he'd send it back out to everybody and say, well, we're getting this. We're getting one of the translators, and he was one of the top Aramaic uh, translators in the world at the time. is a man named Shapley. And several of the translators sent back the Aramaic, the actual Aramaic idea of, of um, the word neighbor. And in Aramaic, the word neighbor means someone who is mentally near to you. If you think about them, they're your neighbor. You know, if you're thinking about Adolf Hitler, he's your neighbor. And if you want to maintain your human life, you had to maintain Rachma in the presence of your thinking about Hitler. Because Rachma was the gateway that kept human life active in you, love present in you for that neighbor. If hostility or fear moved in the mind, hostility or fear would literally close Rachma down and there'd be no presence of love to heal whatever was going on in that mind around this particular neighbor. So anyway, Dan sends this out, and Shapley sends back uh, the meaning of the word neighbor as uh, it was commonly thought. That is, the guy down the block from you, the guy across the street from you, the guy in your neighborhood was your neighbor. And the, the, he sent that passage out more than once and, and kept getting these conflicting definitions back. So there was a gentleman in Chicago who would be the equivalent of the Pope of the Church of the East, a man named Mar Schumann. He was a native Aramaic speaker, and he had been exiled to Chicago from his homeland. And he was like one of the top advisors on the translation work for the Kabor's manuscript and what went into the booklet uh, called Enlightenment. So Dan, this was such a, uh, a big deal that Dan went to Chicago, from Atlanta to Chicago. There were other things involved, but one of the main purposes for that trip was to have a conversation with Mark Schumann. It was hard to communicate with him over the phone with his accent and such, that uh, he went to visit him. <laughs> and Dan described Mark Schumann as being, quote-unquote, is what he used to say about him, that Marshuman was older than God. <laughs> so what age Marshuman was. And so he's having a conversation with him about this word neighbor, and he's getting, especially from a well-respected Aramis, he's getting back this word meaning the person who's down the block from you. 
I mean, I, I can see it still in my mind's eye, Dan mimicking Marshuman as he waves his arm, you know, waves him away and turns his head. And he says, I know what's got Shapley confused. He's reading those new dictionaries they wrote in the 6th century. <laughs> this was Dan's way of describing how Marshuman corrected him and that what had happened was that the military mind had changed the meaning of the word neighbor to be someone physically near to you rather than someone mentally near to you in order that they could go make war and keep their war machine going and keep their money coming in. And steal the assets of people they didn't consider to be neighbors via the definition of it's somebody physically near to you. But in Aramaic... So our effort to restore the meaning of that word would come under our my, my coining of the word Aramaicisms. We want everybody to know that, and, and, and if you listen to that passage, you must have Rachma, when you think of the Creator, when you think of neighbor, and in Aramaic it says, in order to maintain self. Not love your neighbor as yourself, but have rachma for your neighbor in order to maintain self. In other words, if rachma is open, you will be aware of yourself, capital S self, as love, capital L-O-V-E. And when you hold that present in your mind, you actually become a thinker. My definition, what my understanding of the word think, thinking, from the Aramaic is to recognize that it's not cycling information in the mind. You know, if I say, don't think about the color of your car, and then I say, what are you thinking about? The average person says, oh, I'm thinking about the color of my car. Well, I, with my voice, asking you not to think about the color of your car, resonated something in brain cells about the color of your car, and your mind starts to cycle information. And that's anything but thinking. The truth is that if most people said what they thought, they'd be speechless because most of us have never been trained to think in our lives. And my definition, what I've come to understand as forgiveness, and this doesn't come out of translations, this doesn't come out of any of the Aramaic, um, Aramaicism's work or any of the Kavoris manuscript that comes from working with people over the last 50 years. And that is... You become a thinker when you follow the first law, that is how it works to be a thinker, how it works to be a human being, someone with the capacity to go beyond the animal mind and simple resonance. You know, I say, don't think about the color of your car. I resonate brain cells in you. And those brain cells fire and the mind cycles whatever's there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it's not thinking, it's just resonance. To be a thinker is to be a human being and that is to recognize oneself as the active presence of love. And thinking is the ability to keep the active presence of love. Rachma open, therefore, the active presence of love in your mind, whatever's going on in your world. And the benefit of that is if love is present in your mind, when something insane, something unresolved from one, two, ten, or a hundred generations ago, or something in the culture comes up in your mind that is inaccurate, that is not the truth about the actual world created by the creator, 
then by holding the presence of love in your mind, this is what makes you a thinker, when those falsities resonate, simple exposure to active presence, present love, like you know, exposing yourself to the sun, creates an impact on your skin. It creates a transmutation that changes your skin. The active presence of love, if there's something resonating in your mind that's based in falsity, that's based in lies, it's based in corrupt data, hostility, or fear, then that energy dissolves the lies. And the thinker is a genius because they're never stuck in a lie. That's the importance of what Yeshua was saying when he said the first law first law, how it works to be a human being, is Rachma is open, love is present in your mind and in your physiology, whatever's going on in your world. And the more dire the situation in your world, the more important it is that you harmonize with that law. And if something false comes up in your mind from the past... By exposure to love, by definition, that falsity heals. Where falsity is held in tissue, the tissue itself is diseased. So when love is conscious, active, and present in you, and something less than love surfaces, then the dissolution of the falsity occurs. That's the importance of understanding Aramaicisms. And Miss Jeannie tells me, I hope that makes sense for everybody, and or if there, if there was something about that that didn't fit or make sense, please, push one, let's have a conversation about it. And Jeannie tells me you've got some hands up, so let's say hello to a caller. We do. I believe it's Miss Susan, 610. You're on the air. Hi. Oh, hi. Welcome, young lady. Well, hi. I hope you had a good time on your Yes, it was awesome. Good. Good, because you guys need a rest for sure. And since I actually have all the Aramaicisms and many other things by your generosity, because Tim and I are donors, you sent them all to us. And so what do I do? I decide, well, I've got them. I'll do something else. So I only listen to parts of them, but Michael, that's all I can do. Those dialogues between you and Dale Allen Kaufman, Kaufman are so intense and fast-moving that I would have liked to be in the room and say, stop, stop, say that again, go over this, let me ask this question. It just goes by very fast. So, But what you just said, in a way, probably gave a summary, first of all, would you please make a list of all those words that have been changed? I mean, I hope there aren't so many that it's just impossible. But that was everything. where my mind would go, <laughs> everything, oh, no. Virtually well, every key say... word. Oh, man. You know, well, human, li- human life has been turned into something physical. The body, you're, you're yeah. human. It's not mm-hmm. love anymore. Forgiveness is made. I'm going to let you off. You know, it's like you've heard me say before. The non-being mind has a cheap copy of everything real in the spiritual dimension. Mm-hmm. 
So the cheap copy of love is sexual athletics or put your head on the chopping block so you can be abused in the name of love and then people know that you're loving your neighbor. I mean, virtually every key word in human existence, the cheap copy has been substituted by the Greeks for what Yeshua was actually talking about. So till we go back and reestablish the meanings of those words, and that was the whole purpose of that workshop was to get, you know, get at least a, a, a good foothold in changing the meanings of the words so we comprehend what's really going on. So, yes, please, you know, as you listen to it, sit and every time you want to stop me and ask a question, make a note and make that part yeah. of the conversation over the next week or the next month or the next two years. Whatever okay, time frame well, you think, call those questions. That'd be awesome. One thing that crossed my mind is I think comes through, not that we pay attention to it without the interpretation of hearing what Aramaic forgiveness means, but when Jesus was up on the cross, having had to get ready to shed his human body in one night, and we, as we age, we, I know you, you have a feeling about all this, don't go into it right now, Michael, <laughs> but those of us who are getting older and are hearing it. What was it you wanted me to go into? <laughs> quiet. Um, I, I heard your you instructions. I'll go into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I said it wrong. Okay. I was thinking that Jesus had to prepare himself for having no body, and he was fully human as well as fully God, according to whatever version of whatever I've read. He gets himself to the point where he is clear enough to be nothing but love on the cross, which is an amazing achievement considering he was sweating blood the night before. But what he demonstrated is what we're supposed to do with forgiveness is to see everyone as innocent and to ask for forgiveness of ourselves for our perceptions and projections and judgments I hope I'm not talking too fast, but I'm so excited about all this. It seems as if that might possibly have gotten through to the churches that are teaching so many things wrong, and I'm hoping God's grace is good enough that we'll be okay in spite of having screwed everything up about what Jesus taught. Anyway, I better stop right there. But I can imagine I'm not stopping. (laughs) One more thing. How frustrating. (laughs) I know worksheet required, but I am imagining that you have had to do wake-up sheets on for frustration at like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill and up the hill and up the hill and up the hill to get these messages across when we're saturated with the Greek and all other translations from the Greek. I mean, all the different variations. Okay, I'll be quiet. I was uh, across the road last week before I left. You know, winter's here, and we've been preparing the gardens, and our neighbor has a huge forest out behind his house. He said, you know, come on over and pick all the leaves up you want. And as I was over there filling up, filling up, filling up containers of leaves, I was like looking at this forest behind us. I was like, this is a Sisyphusian task to, to get these leaves to move out of here. But That's yeah, funny. and you know, let, let, let's just take one line from the cross that the Greeks feed us. That 
fit in with what you had to say. Why do you suppose God would be hanging on a cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In what world does that make sense? God has been forsaken by God. What have we done? And, of course, when you take that idea and you stuff it down people's throats, you know, we've got the best God because ours is God. Yours is just, you know, if you're Mohammed, yours is somebody else. And if you're Buddhist, yours is something less. And, you know, if you're a Sikh, well, yours, your God is something less. Ours is the only real one. But why would God say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, it's another one of those crazy things. So you mean in, in Aramaic, Aramaic it's different? Okay, cool. Yeah, that's totally different, totally different. In Aramaic, the word forsaken, and you can kind of get a sense of this when you pay attention to it, the word forsaken, I don't know where the noise is coming from, but maybe we can mute the phone. So the word Sorry, forsaken is... Yeah, I'll mute. Okay. The word forsaken is very much the same as set aside for a special purpose. So forsaken would be you know, more like kind of thrown away, where in Aramaic the word he used there is set aside for a special purpose. And we're told that it's said with suffering and dejection, when in fact my offering would be it was said with excitement. And he's speaking, Abba, Abba, my father, my father, is much more intimate um, communication than um, my God, my God. It's like, Abba, Abba, oh, Dad, oh, okay, I got it. This is what you set me aside for. I got it. Wow. If I refuse to surrender my being love to this insanity that's happening in the world, if I keep Rachma active and I keep love present in my mind, which is my created essence, then I can demonstrate to all the world that even if they kill me, it can't, it doesn't kill me. I'm, 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 dem- I'm, oh, I got it. This is what you said. This is the whole lesson you set me aside for. Thank you. God, Michael, I forgot different- that you had said that. No, whole yeah, different game then. I've been forsaken by yeah. the creator. And, and by the way, I'm the creator. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. There's so much from the Greek that just makes no sense whatsoever. And people repeat it, wrote like it's scripture. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. not. So imagine that you know, you've, you've had this teacher who's the master musician of the world, the master composer, uh, pianist of the world, and they've taught you and taught you and taught you, and all of a sudden you make that breakthrough to a whole new level, and you turn to them and say, I got it. What 
you've given me with the teaching you've done, I see why you did that. And you arrive at the place of mastery. And that's his mm. invitation for us all to arrive at that place of mastery. Yeah. That's what he came to demonstrate, and he did it. And it was misinterpreted. And, you know, the mind of man has always got a construct for everything. If Rachman's not active, whatever's in that particular mind, whatever's in that bloodline, they'll take whatever's in that bloodline and make a picture out of it and say, ah, here is what it says. You know, there's another, uh, you know, the, the, the second part of that question when they said, what's, what's most important in the law? What's first and foremost? Had Rachma, when you think of the creator, when you think of neighbor, when you think of self, comma. And then it says, for upon this hangs the law and all its prophets. When you put that one in context, what you hear is, if Rachma isn't active in you, then you'll think your eyes are looking at a page, a piece of paper, and reading the words that are on it, and that those meanings are on that piece of paper. When the truth is, when you think you're looking at a piece of paper, you're not looking at the piece of paper at all. What you're looking at is a picture in your mind resonated by the piece of paper, and everything that you read into that piece of paper is simply a projection from your own brain cells, from your own past, from carbon-based memory. Everything that you see, you think you see on the piece of paper, is painted on the inside of the, your eyeballs by your own mind. And therefore, you have no relationship whatsoever, if Rachma is inactive, with what the, the words actually said. If Rachma is active, then the mind of love, in response to the words on the paper, reads what the actual meaning was of the words, rather than projection from carbon-based memory. And that can only be done if Rachma is active in a mind. So what we know is, since the Greeks took over, since the Latins took over, since the English took over, none of that has happened, ever, in 2,000 years. None of it has happened, because the concept of it doesn't even exist. I'm surprised you haven't remember blown that, a gasket, Michael. Remember, remember that song, How Long Has This Been Going On? I don't know it, but... Look at the history. Question. Look at the church father, the so-called church father. Take a look at it. Did they function mm -hmm. with Rachma active? Were, were they able to, you know, again, that second part of that phrase. It was interesting. I can remember exactly, I don't remember what year it was now, but it was maybe in our 12th or 13th year, 13th year of teaching laws of living at Heartland. Dan used to, I used to fly him out, or Dan would drive out, and together we teach laws of living. And the particular year that that piece of the puzzle occurred to me, it was in class during laws of living, I went, oh my God, that's for upon this hangs the law and all the prophets. That that actually started out to be a book title, which you've heard me talk about, which is now The End of Suffering, but it was actually originally the 11 most important words ever spoken. For upon this hangs the law and all its prophets. That the, the prophets were a possession of the law, of the way it worked, a reflection of the way it worked. And, and that particular... Um, uh, 
summer, there was a woman who was part of the Laws of Living class who was a minister from a church up near Springfield. Mm. And I don't remember which day it was of the week. It was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. One of those days, like I just had this mind-boggling blowout inside of, oh, that's the key to the whole package of being able to understand what was being communicated by those words is you've got to have rock upon this hangs alone on its prophets. Anyway, this woman was preaching on that topic that mm. Sunday, and most of the oh. class went to hear, to support her and hear her, her speak. And I don't remember even now what, it was an Anglican church, or it was, I don't even remember what it was. But whatever one it was, and again, I don't remember what version of the scriptures they were using, but the words, for upon this hangs the law and all its prophets, were not in the translation that they were using. They'd been disappeared. Hmm. As I say, I don't remember Boy. what translation that was, but but I can. I mean, that was just so so mind-boggling. You had to zip your mouth up tight that day too. I had to zip, <laughs> but it was just like, I mean, it was for me for my own process in my own work. It was such an exciting breakthrough to understand. And this is about the twelfth year we taught Laws of Living, and by that point, I had probably taught it um, 20 different times between, you know, the social service system we had in, in Albany, Georgia, and on the road, I had taught it out to a group out in California, so it was probably about the 20th time in that 12 years I taught it, and that was like just, that was my big breakthrough of the year, my, my opening was understanding what that phrase really meant. Boy. So when we get the Rachma hat on, then you can go to any passage in the scriptures and you'll understand what it means. Rather than you'll be stuck in whatever your brain tells. You know, if if it happens to be a passage that relates, you know, I mean, there's so much crazy stuff in the scriptures. You know, if if you know there are there are strong movements in several states right now to burn books. They're literally burning books, removing books from libraries, libraries and such. I mean, it's just outrageous what's going on in that regard. And and that's all being done in the name of serving people. And, of course, there are things in this book that people who are doing that are whining and complaining about other books having those things, things about aberrant sexuality. Well, if you want to find aberrant sexuality, go read the Old Testament. I mean, there's plenty of it. You know, based on mm-hmm. that logic, that's one of the books that should be burned. But until Rockham is present... It won't make sense until we clean up our own multi-generational database called carbon-based memory, the home of 666, carbon atoms storing things from the past and projection, protecting those meanings into our brain's image of whatever we look at, including the scriptures, until we correct that. And, and that is, for me, that's part of the whole idea of Aramaicism, is why I coined that term. Is we've got to get back to what the man actually meant, not what the Greeks, not what the Romans, what the, you know, the uh, um, Latins 
try to tell us he meant because those languages mm. don't even have words for his key concepts. I know this show is going to end, but seriously, if you picked even the most, I mean, how can you do this? The most important words that are mistranslated and make a list, that would be, I would whip it right over to my minister. <laughs> You've got to read these. Yeah. Well, just uh, grab a copy of this show and, and send it to, to your minister. And then let's have your minister get on, let's have a conversation. Because who knows what insights their personal process brings. You know, the places mm-hmm. where Rockman's been present in them and given them insights and understandings that we still don't have a clue of. Or, you know, that's one of the beauties of community is that each person, you know, I think people tend to move in and out of this state of mind that was being talked about. In that state of mind, we get to see and understand truth directly. And, you know, there are arenas in which I've done that and other areas where I still haven't done my work in that arena and and would flop the test. But Mm. here's somebody else who, in that arena, they've made the test, they've passed it, and they can give us the the insight because when they looked at that passage, Rothman was active and they could understand directly what it actually meant because upon that condition in our minds hangs the law, and, and in Aramaic, it's a possessive word, the law and all its prophets, like the prophets belong to the law. Mm. Well, it's... And, and a, a, a huge shout-out and thank you to Dan McDougald for his genius. I actually mm. keep a picture of him right at the end of my bed where every once in a while I just, you know, he passed several years ago. I just, you know, kind of tip my proverbial hat and say, Dan, thank you, and... Hope everything's rocking in your world. Everything's doing well. You cherish him. Mm. He's an amazing, amazing man. So thank you for your questions. I look forward to more of them as time unfolds. Everybody, yeah. thanks for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. <laughs>